Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa. Let me turn that game down a little bit. Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Holloway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Just got back from the Hollywood studio, and now I'm back in the real studio, my studio apartment, recording this opener. We just ran a live episode with Sean Simmons, and guys, really glad we're doing live again. It's just going to take me a little bit to get that sauce back, that feeling back, that confidence back of just kind of just taking control of an episode. So, um... Thoughts today were a little bit scattered, I apologize, but Sean was a really nice dude, really entertaining dude, and had a really good time. You guys know the deal, man. If you really get any sort of value from this episode, please share it with a friend. I mean it. It's just it's a good story about a, a writer who came up in Hollywood. You know, Wayne is a great series. I've been watching it on the late night recently, and super original, man. Sean's from Brockton originally, and uh, great dude, man. We're back doing it. I'm fucking hustling. I'm trying to build the thing. It's so weird. Like, I spend 95% of my time internalizing my thoughts. I've realized this. Like, 95% of my time is internalizing my thoughts and figuring out how to execute. And then I got to get into performance mode. You know what I'm saying? So I'm working on making sure the episodes are more entertaining. I apologize if you didn't feel that way this time around. I'm just hustling. But again, good building block for the show. I'm trying to get everyone in film and TV on the show in Hollywood. So let's fucking get it. We're rolling. Let's go, brethren. Enjoy. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. And just like that, we're caught in the simulation. Let's go. Thank you for doing this with us, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Now, before I introduce our guests, I just want to address the three elephants in the room, and that's not a stab at you guys being obese under any circumstance. I just want you guys to make yourselves known. So can you just shout your name so we can hear you on audio and then... Yo, what's good? It's Luke Jarvis rolling camera two over to Connor's left. This is Killian Dunn. It's my first day with the GDP podcast, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. And you're a great guy. And who do we have over here? You got Gio Geronimo doing the engineering. Your last name is Geronimo? Yeah, that's, real, that's my real last name. Dude, that's like a superhero name, man. <laughs> and on my right camera left, I have Sean Simmons, and I'm excited to have you here, man. We've all just been bumping Wayne the past, like, four days oh. trying to come prepared. Thanks, man. It's uh, I'm happy to talk about it. You know, no matter how many years passed since it's been aired. <laughs> well, but it got a second life when you got picked up by Amazon, right? That's kind of what it seemed like. It did. It, uh, they bought it. Um, you know, you don't like to benefit from things like people getting sick. But we did benefit from the pandemic and the lack of production that was going on. And, um, you know, it, from what I understand, did well. It's one of those things. I think in the end, honestly... Um, it felt like we had a shot. They were calling about like actors deals and like at getting a season two on Amazon. Um, and then all of a sudden it just stopped. We haven't technically been not picked up, but we haven't technically been canceled. Um, but you get the hint after a while. It's been a while. If they're interested. Yeah. Um, that they haven't come a calling in a while, but I think, you know, there's a real problem with these types of things where, if they didn't send me, that's me. That's me. Classy. Um, 
Sounded vulgar. Phone just went off. <laughs> no, it was uh, the trailer for the movie we just looked up, the Boston movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there when people, when studios, when networks don't actually make the show and they take it from somewhere else, there's a real lack of kind of like ownership that they feel for a thing. You know, they want to put the stuff on they were de- they had developed all along. So, you know, Cobra Kai is one of those, you know, great show few things that it's like you can't deny the popularity of that i mean that ip um you know internationally it's a huge thing and it's a great show and you know you couldn't deny those numbers um so we, what that was originally on youtube premiums then it got picked up by amazon yeah youtube premium was uh us cobra kai there was a jordan peele show i'm not gonna weird city um, and a bunch of other smaller things that they kind of took a swing at things and I think in the end realized that like, oh, we're a creator-based platform. Mm-hmm. This whole making it a TV network thing isn't, you know, really our gig. We should keep it these kids who make us things for $7 and, you know, <laughs> we and make so, millions. And so them. when you were pitching Wayne around... Did they come to you first being like, hey, we're YouTube, we're creating original content now, we want to give your show a shot? Or No, we. I wrote that script. I had the idea first. I wrote I had the idea because I had a scene in my head that was based off of a real thing that happened. And that's the scene, the opening, that you guys know, the throwing the rock, the, the ice through the window. Um in Brockton when I was about eight years old and too young to do anything about it, you know, some kid uh, was getting his ass kicked by like six kids. I forget how many. Six older kids. And when they were done beating his ass, tired or whatever it was, they started to walk away and he stood up and he picked up a rock and he threw it at him and he got beat up again. So like that never left me because in towns like that, you know, you re- it's filled with kids that are like either I don't have a mom or a dad or both. You know, you're not taking my bride, too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, you can swear? Yeah. Okay. It's all good, man. Um, Fuck. So you're not... Yeah. <laughs> all good. Fuck. Uh, you're not taking my pride, too. So that was just one of those things I remember about the people back home more than anything. It's like, you know, you're not... You can take anything but my pride. Um, so before we move on, can we just peel it all the way back? One, can you just dis- tell everyone who you are, and then can we describe... W- where you come from yeah my name is sean simmons i'm from brockton massachusetts um you guys know i mean what was your when you were young and you heard brockton well surprisingly on this podcast specifically over the past four years i've had more artists from brockton than any other place on the planet and i was telling you on the phone brockton has a very prevalent hip-hop scene right now there's a group called van buren records um there's a studio there that I don't know if you're familiar. There's a studio there called um, the Sound Lab. Are you familiar? No. But they just break a lot of artists out of there. And know who's also from there? And I don't know if you know him, but are you familiar with Dave Wedge? Yeah, he's a author, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was the lead beat reporter for the Herald, and then he was the on the front lines for when the Boston bombing happened. So he was like 45 and he was like, fuck it. I like, I'm in a a unique position to write a book. So he wrote a book on the Boston bombing, which later got picked up and turned into Patriot's day. 
We got we had a little interaction on Twitter, and then you just reminded me I'm supposed to read his latest book. You guys would love each other. Well, you know, listen, I'm looking for that like true life story to write about, you know, Boston history, and he's always working in that area of crime, and so I do. I now have to go back and try to figure out what that book was. I and and he lo- he loves the energy of Brockton being like scrappy, like city of Rocky Marciano. Yeah, man. I mean. Hagler, Marvin Hagler, Rocky every Marciano. every dude from Bo- uh, from Brockton talks about Marvin Hagler being from Brockton. One of my hair, the, you know, my favorite fighter of all time, maybe by far. Really, even if he wasn't from Brockton. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's it's funny it, when I met people out here, you know, having been fresh to LA, that were from. Massachusetts, you know, the minute you said like, "Yeah, I'm from Brockton," they'd be they had this like, "Oh, how was that?" You know, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's changed, right? I mean, I get the sense that it's changed. It's not as we used to fight every week, and I had a party once. The only party I ever had. You don't have parties when you have my dad. My dad, I used to watch fight on the hockey rink at AZF skating rink behind the high school at midnight league. You don't have parties because he will do the same thing he did to that fucking guy on the rank to you but I, I dare to have one and of course I mean it lasted 45 minutes before this person told that person this person no matter how hard you try you know only us you know don't tell anybody 40 people were there the wrong groups of people were there with each other you know and there was a brawl a full on brawl my front front fence was completely obliterated. I lived on a fairly main drag, too. It was Tory Street, which was, you know, it was not a quiet street, but it was the middle of the night, and pieces of my fence were in the street. Kids were fighting. There was a point where cops pulled up, and the dogs didn't even stop the kids from fighting. Like, the dogs were nipping at heels and biting at (laughs) heels, and they kept fighting. Um, So, yeah, my dad... They're at the Cape. They went to the Cape for the weekend. My dad caught wind. They came home. I'd clean that house up, but it didn't matter. Like, you know, obviously the neighbors were, you know, were reporting back. And So was it just a, well. was it a brawl over territory? It was just, you know. It was I just mean, like, I'm pissed. How many fights at school just ended it, like, started with some tension? Like, you talk shit about me or you said that thing. Or it was about nothing. It was about, like, two guys that were, I mean, sometimes it honestly felt like people were just supposed to fight at some point. I remember people telling me, you got to fight Brian Drukas. I'm like, why am I fighting Brian Drukas? And, and they're like, because I think you could take him. <laughs> I was like, so? Like, you know, so like fights didn't start at, <laughs> for any reason most of the time. It was, you know, we used to go to this place, The Rock, which was a big rock in the middle of the woods. People would fight there. And then Burger King parking lot, um, where a lot of brawls happened. Um, but it became like a, oh, who's fighting this Friday kind of deal. You know what I mean? So we, you know, people fought, I think, in towns like that, which I always call them like urban hillbillies. You know, like it's just because it's Degenerates. the city. Yeah, just because it's the city doesn't mean they're not like truck people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Brockton's filled with guys that you could be like, oh, that guy, if I didn't hear his accent, I'd think he was from Alabama. Oh, really? You know I mean? Yeah. I mean... Those guys, like, there's a lot of those guys that are like, New England's still woods and shit. You know what I mean? Like, still got the woods, so... Yeah, and then you'd show up to fights and there'd be 
you know, I was thinking about one the other day where someone was like, yeah, I brought my dad just to make sure nothing goes down. And then the dad fights, you know, like that type of thing. So that was very much a part of our culture all the time. I mean, as you can see my show <laughs> very much as people are just like so quick to throw down. But. Now, what did your parents do? My father, uh, he worked for, he ended up as, as, he worked for the state for the many years at the end of his life. He was like, I don't know what they called it, park supervisor. Cool. Um, he was, they have a beautiful park in Easton. He finally ended up at, which I don't know if you guys know that one. There's like a big mansion on um, Ames, Ames Mansion or something. When I was, we've been location scouting for a new film in Massachusetts. And I was sending you mansions. Is that one of them? I think I Knives Out and Ghostbusters film there. So okay. maybe it might be a locations place. Okay, like cool. He, um, he worked, he luckily worked at a, you know, he just had to pull, put up with what he thought with the snobby rich people. In Easton. Yeah, because in Easton was nice, you know, and it'd be like, these fucking bitches. <laughs> they make me fucking clean up after their dogs. You know, it's just, and they treat me like shit. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he got lucky there. He was working at like AZF skating rink for years. Cause that state owned it and privatized those things. And the, I had a, I got a job off of him working at the, the, uh, the rink. Cause it was a pool next door, which was the best job I ever had, which was just watch the pool. <laughs> so, no, so no one breaks in, in the middle of the night. So I'd sleep there. I, they didn't know I was sleeping. I had a little, like, roll-up mattress in the back of my car. I'd pull up. I'd, like, draw for a while, talk on the phone, and then fall asleep. So no one would, like, jump the fence and die, you know. Um, it sounds like the job out of a Tom Waits song. Like, the guy who's, like, just sits there and watches the pool overnight. Sounds like um, the best job ever, man. Yeah, you'd have friends up there and have fun, but then there'd be the occasional, like... Drowning. Well, the occasion... Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, shh. To, <laughs> to cover it up, because I fucked up. Um... No, it was like, you know, my dad went, it was off and on with jobs when we were kids. It's, you know, went from working at the steel mill, you know, there was a place called Turner Steel, which he fucking hated. He worked for most of his life, like bending rebar in the middle of the winter outside in the sweltering humid heat. Um, my mother, you know, they had three kids by the time they were 22. Wow. Um, so different. Different life. I mean? Different. Um so she she didn't go to college till she was late thirties and finally made her life better. Cool. Um, my father was making like forty grand a year until, you know, fifteen years ago. Forty grand. And was your mom creative, or did you just were you always just a little special? She, I'm a, <laughs> you, way you're saying that. Um, my mother did say you should be on the radio. I I didn't take that as an insult till later. <laughs> I was like, oh, because I have a pit bull face. Um, no, she was creative. She was an artist growing up. Um, they definitely were... When you start at the bottom, anything's better. You know, they never had much. Uh, they gave us a great life, but we, we didn't know how bad we had it at times. We had it real bad at times. Um, holes in the shoes and not being able to afford any shoes. You know, my mom learned to cut hair real quick, you know, because we were never going to be able to pay for haircuts, that type of poor. Government cheese blocks this big. Chipping the cheese, pulling mm -hmm. out of the fridge and chipping cheese off of it into day-old English muffins type of pour. Um, but she she was really creative, did graphic arts later in life, made her life better. We had kind of a step up in life when she did that. But, you know, before that, luckily we didn't know it was that bad. You know, 
Like when that was just kid, life. Yeah, it's just life. We didn't know that. We, you know, we didn't know if we we're gonna eat on the weekend. Certain times, they don't like me talking about this that much. But you know, it's the truth of the show. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff you see in the show. With my dad always talking about spending money. That dad in that show talks about all. He, I realize I'm like Jesus Christ. All this Gary Dell's dad talks about is don't spend that money. Why are you spending my money? That's too expensive, you know. Uh, and that was my dad, definitely. But he grew up. He's going to catch these stomach growls on. I haven't heard a thing. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> are you hungry? Oh, I'm intermittent fasting. Sean, as am I. <laughs> it, I lost 30 pounds in the last, like, good for you, man. three months or It's something. awesome, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, you feel energized? I'm starving. <laughs> yeah, you know? dude. But my brain doesn't seem... I keep thinking my brain's going to be, like, like, you know, from no, not no, eating. No, you're sharper. Yeah, I think. Because your insulin level's baseline. I I definitely, like, you know, it only takes doing this once to go, oh, sugar just murders you. Sugar is the devil, brother, it's, but it's the best. Yeah, I'm stupid from it. You know, I was stupid from it. My face is this puffy. Because of sugar, like once I do this, a diet like this, like my face just goes, but anyway, we're off track. It's those dopamine hits, man. Now, now question. So I think we were talking about this on the phone a little bit. So you're growing up in Brockton. When do you get an inkling? Like, I would like to maybe write for TV or film. I, because there's no way you were growing up around anyone who was doing it. Yeah. I listen. I, I grew up. All the kids I grew up with, you know, were skaters, BMX bike kids, punk, hardcore. That always, I think, leans to, you know, being attracted to things that are different, creative things, art. You know, we we hung around with a lot of kids in the art room, as they say. Um, So there was like we were around that kind of different cast of people in high school. We're definitely not in the... None of us played sports. Um, So that... And my mother was creative, so there was a little bit of that. Um, I definitely... That stuff appealed to me more than anything, and comedy, mostly. What specifically? Um, You know, I just... I... My personality definitely, I think... I had, had like, a Adonis best friend. Okay. What do you mean, just jacked? He was, he turned out to be like 6'3", Norwegian. He didn't turn out to be Norwegian. It was like it was a surprise when he was 18. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was a Norwegian kid. He, he, uh, he slowly developed yeah. him. Oh my God. He's he looked at himself boring. in his mirror. Yeah. I'm Norwegian. I'm Norwegian. Um, just, the, his name was Evan Eaton. He was my best friend from down the street. And... You know, when you're little, you're little. That's your friend. He's right there down the street. And, you know, that's who you're going to be friends with. And he just, he, he just turned into the, like, most gorgeous kid on earth. Okay. Got all the shorties. Right. And I was the opposite of that. I was always heavy set and had a face like a pit bull and built like a D battery and just like, you know, I had to stand next to him. But you had the heart of a lion. As we, but here's the thing. He his personality didn't develop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fuck that didn't, guy. He didn't have to. <laughs> it didn't have to. Yeah. You know, like he had his looks. He could be the dumbest fucking goof on the planet. He 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 had a thing too where he wouldn't go out places without me 
because I was the entertainment. Like, if they had a friend, like, I would talk for them. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's always, you know, he'd bring me places to kind of like, oh, would you be there and make sure you keep up the conversation? So I just like, you know, I had to develop jokes to get attention. And I was fucking falling down staircases, like, for fun, for jokes, like, hurting myself for humor like I grew up in that Chris Farley era so like I was falling on staircases and you know I had to do real slapstick that. comedy I loved it I mean I grew up there in Sandler and all that shit so like I loved loud Wayne is loud as fuck like it is as as much drama as it has as much quiet as it can have it's like everyone from Boston is so fucking loud very brash um yeah speaking of Chris Farley era have you ever seen Almost Heroes it's the Explorer one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? So funny, dude. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's my shit, dude. I love Carl. So you've seen Almost Heroes? Of course. You know that that part where they're, like, dragging him out, he's a prisoner, and they're dragging him to the noose, and the woman's like, I hope Satan himself burns the flesh off your miserable bones. <laughs> and he's like, good God, lady. <laughs> I, I watch that on repeat, like, twice a week, dude. It's hilarious. Um, Tommy Boy was that movie yeah. for me like that. I was falling, I was falling out of the seat in the theater, laughing so hard. Now, young. so those were the movies you were growing up on. Yeah, it's Waterboy. I loved like when I first got to see Saturday Night Live. It was definitely right before. I mean, John Lovitz. I remember him being. I was was that West Junior High. I was in junior high. And I saw, like, John Lovitz. Billy Crystal was still hanging around. You Look Marvelous was a thing, I think, at the time. I remember that. Um, but that was right before all the Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley. That era. That Those guys. And Norm you know, MacDonald, too, yeah. Yeah, I just loved stupid, loud shit. So it's like Adam Sandler doing the dumbest thing in the world, Opera Man you know, was the funniest shit to me in the world. And, like, now I, I think those people, I think, you know, carried on the tradition of... They had those sketches that were came on at, like, you know, right before 1 o'clock when the show ended. What time was that? 11, 30, 12, 1? Yeah, right before 1 o'clock, they'd always put the weird sketches, and they still do that. And so Will Forte became, like, my next favorite Tracy Morgan like they always put those sketches at the end that were so fucking weird I could see you loving the MacGruber series did you watch it yes so good I didn't act her on the show and did you see it it was really clever and to be honest when I saw Wayne it reminded me of that series because it was so authentic dude like your series was incredibly authentic the way you edited, I don't know, were you heavy in the edit room, I'm yeah, assuming? Yeah, So, like, just having titles hit out of nowhere, like, there was a shot where you had a tracking shot in on a facial expression, and you used, like, a whoosh sound effect on the way in, and then you did a freeze frame. You know what I'm talking about? Are you talking about Dell close-up it's, it's, in the train? It's in on the female character. Yeah. She, it was it was a very clever and very distinct, like, okay, I understand the director's voice. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, the, the titles thing, the tone... There's a lot of tone that comes from those choices, definitely, that you don't, didn't see in a lot of stuff at the time. I think, surprisingly, TV moves so fast that there's a lot more stuff like it. But 
that being said, like I wrote that Wayne titles thing into the script. I said like Wayne hits the screen like a thousand pound stamp or something like that. And full metal, like the metal guitar sound was definitely a thing. I said, if this guy has a sound, it's Metallica. A stab. Know, yeah. Specifically late 70s, 80s thrash metal. Because um, there's nothing more, at, like in my head, more kind of ridiculously extreme. And that was the whole point. Like, Wayne is ridiculously extreme, you know. So, you know, that that was definitely a choice. Like, I think everything we, you know, Ian McDonald is responsible. He's the director of the first episode. And he, unfortunately, he couldn't be on the rest of the series because he went off to do great shit. Um, but he's the one who did that flair of... We zoomed in on her face. I think he put the sound of a train Is in the background. And so it feels like a whoosh. But it it basically sits on her face, and the title of the episode was Get Some Then. She's like, well, get some then. You know, money or whatever to buy the cookies. So Similar. There's the shot where he gets kidnapped by that, like, redneck in the, like near the barn. And then you have this weird character hit with the text hit. And I was like, that's so genius to introduce a character. It's the most blatant way to do it. What's the dude's name? Oh. He's in the barn with his sister or something, or it's his girlfriend. Oh, uh, uh, Lee fucking Murray. Yeah. It's fucking smart directing, man. Yeah, that, you know, we did a lot less as the show progressed. We did a lot less of that stuff because we, you know, I felt like as the drama of the whole thing kind of started to build and we were going less with their absurdist comedy and more like trying to get people absorbed into the like culmination of drama after we've gotten to know these characters we kind of you lean off of that stuff a little bit but I do like now that you're bringing it up I'm like oh we did a lot of that fun stuff at the beginning when we're introducing people and it's a quick way to do those things that are like let's introduce this fucking guy's extreme and it was like Lee fucking Murray and Wayne kind of both had that thing going on we smashed the titles in front of him and that's I mean, it, it's it's the heightened aspect of the show a little bit that made it a, a little bit more than just kind of like a dramedy, you know? Yeah, but I mean, Killian and Luke, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I love watching stuff where you can actually feel like the creator is making an original choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's why people like Quentin Tarantino, too, is because you can feel his voice and you can feel him shape the script. Would you agree with this series? Dude, 100%. I know I'm not Mike, so I'll make this quick. But, yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's kind of out of style. Like, it has been more dramedy stuff recently, more kind of naturalistic. And I'm with you, Connor. I want the storyteller pointing at things and telling me, check this out. Isn't this cool? Let's have this moment. And that was something that I really appreciated about the show. It felt like sort of like a throwback to Tarantino, but also just super fresh because we've sort of been trained with TV, it's streaming, it's endless, it's like scene after scene of kind of people have a conversation and then they go over here and have a conversation. And Wayne just had a different energy where it was like, let's have this cool thing. Like, I'm gonna show you this, I'm gonna do these push-ins, I'm gonna have this like shifting energy. Just, you didn't take yourself that. too serious, which yeah. was awesome. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a couple things going on which is like, as I think about it in hindsight, like, and try to figure out what I... What worked? Do. Okay. Or how, what instinctively comes out of me when I make something. 
And there always has to be a good reason every time you make a choice like that. Wayne thing, that Wayne stamp of the metal music, it's all about him being extreme. And um, I just wrote a pilot for Endeavor Content um, that is kind of like, you know, a very weird version of uh, Taken, I guess you could say. Nice. I'm not, but it, you know, there's titles that are basically like, you know, you don't, something's about to happen at the end of this episode that feels so different from the beginning of the episode that I said, that's going to be a problem for some people. That's going to be like, Oh, we didn't think it was this show. It was, we thought it was this show because it starts off quiet. It's about a woman kind of staring into the abyss after she drops her daughter, her only family off at college and realizes who am I? Like I've spent 17 years out of the military dedicating my life entirely even my job is so my daughter can have something and when you drop that daughter off I dropped my son off at preschool for the first real day like I was there with him a couple hours for like a week and then you have to kind of say goodbye and I was crying so hard in the fucking car <laughs> that I had to pull over on the side of the road and stop driving because I thought I'd crash into a tree and sob why was it so emotional? I don't, you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it eventually if you decide to have kids. I mean, it's... I took care of that kid every waking second. I, I was lucky enough to, like, write and, and take care of him. And they never... My kids have never had a babysitter in 15 years. My kids... Okay, so wait. <laughs> this was a while ago with the son in preschool. This was a while ago. <laughs> I was like, your son's not 15 going to preschool. No, no, no. Okay. This was a while ago, but I also had a moment which kind of spawned this where I dropped him off on a field trip when he was 14. I uh, went off to, like, New York for, like, nine days. Same thing happened. Me and my wife went into different rooms and cried. We're insane. I, <laughs> I, I see how you're looking at me. But we, like, it's, you know, you're always like, so someone's not going to take care of him the way they need to be taken care of him. What if he's scared? or You know, it's fucked up, man. But... I was, I've been, the kids were ruining that fucking kid. He's ruined. Like, he's, he's going to go off nice. in the world, like, fucking doing all the things he should have learned not to do at four years old. He's going to be sticking his fucking forks and light sockets and shit. Um, because we never let him learn to do anything. We're like, no, I got your sandwich. No, 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 no. I know. Like, I don't know if that kid can cook a piece of chicken. He's 15. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we gotta, we keep going. We gotta teach him to cook him a piece of chicken. You gotta but, send him off in the world and say, hey, it's been a good ride, brother. Yeah. God, it's gonna be terrible. It's gonna be seriously like the bird just falling out and hitting the ground. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. It's Squash. not, it's not let him free. It's like, um, where were we? Rewinding. Um, oh, I, the choice is about... Your direct, yeah. Directorial choices. Yeah, I mean, yeah, listen, I have a... Show running's a little different. Directors don't like to hear about Show running's different with TV because you're, in a lot of cases, and they're trying to change this a lot of times, but you're kind of co-directing everything. Um, and you're the final edit, and you're the final, which isn't the case with movies. Um, and so those directorial choices like you know the Wayne thing were up to me as showrunner you know I ran the room I ran all the writers and then I you know it was the last voice in editing um, you know the directors would do a cut their cut and sometimes those was you know great um, but a lot of times I had to make sure you know that voice thing that you're talking about is in there 
So editing had a lot to do with it, like you're saying. Like, I think you made me think of Edgar Wright. You know, like, he does a lot of stuff that I Very really similar. Love. I should I, say Adam McKay does it a lot, too. He he does a lot in a different way. He's, uh, but he is, but I, I wonder if all these people have ADHD. I certainly do. Do you? Yeah. Big Severe. time. Severe. So. It's awesome. I never trust, as much as I write six-page scenes, which people tell you not to write, because I love dialogue, and I like bouncy dialogue, and I like... It still like has to be crackerjack fireworks because I have ADHD and I get bored so easily that if I'm not seeing room and names coming up and dialogue that's really funny, or at least, you know, I started seeing independent movies in the '90s and I was like, "Holy shit, man! You can have a movie with just two people talking for this long!" Like, but like me, making stuff, I have to make it so you are so engaged by people just being strange, weird. You know, or things being very intense. I think um, it feels that way for sure. It's a super stimulating show. Now, it surprises me that you say you have ADHD because that's the one reason I hate writing. I'm going to send you my film after this, and you're going to see it, and you're going to be like, okay, this dude knows what he's doing producing for sure, but writing is not his forte because I have never been able to sit down and just boom, 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 boom. It's hard. I mean, I have to be so inspired. But you have to like it. You must like it, obviously. Yeah, I mean... It's like, do you? <laughs> it's, a, it's a complicated relationship. I mean, it's, it's again, I, there's truth to that whole terrifying, you know, blank page, you know? But I, this is how I tend to do things. I tend to, like, with Wayne, that first scene, I thought about that first scene. It might not be the way everybody does things, but I thought about that first scene. That scene made me laugh. It was very character-defining. That's what you want from an opening scene. Get attention tell me about the character in one way and then him throwing through the, the rock through the thing after he's been beaten up not, you know you know who he is you know what I mean um, I tend to like think of opening scenes and I might think of a lot of them but one of them will catch me where I'm like okay this 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 is about something and so I thought of that scene in Wayne and then didn't know what the show was and then later said oh wait Dirty Harry in high school yeah, I And that this. made me laugh. And then I said, John Wick Jr. as done by John Hughes or Richard Linklater. You know, and that made me laugh. And I said, okay, well, let's do uh, 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 what revenge element is in there or what justice, you know, element is in there. And I, I you know, I always liked the... Uh, like southern novels I write where there was a piece of inheritance that someone was looking for and went to get it the whole journey is them going to find something I was going to say the road trip structure must be a good parameter to work within because it's like alright I gotta get my characters from point A to point B and then mm -hmm. all this crazy shit happens in between it's a journey film yeah the intensity of two people who don't know each other on a journey together is always appealing because it's the easiest way to write you know when the characters don't know each other, it's an easy way of people telling each other about themselves. Which, if, if you're writing a show about two characters who know each other, there's a lot of shit they won't talk about they already know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of intensity when you throw two people together on a journey like that. So that is going to appeal to me because I like everything like electric on the surface and loud. You know, it's, it's, it's always going to be bumpy immediately to people, especially with personalities like that. Um, I like that stuff. I, I, you know, throwing two new fresh people together on a tense road trip is, I, I mean, I watched Due Date the other, 
that Zach Galifianakis, Robert Downey Jr. Jr. movie. I was laughing my head off that the intensity of those two guys together, obviously, is something that's going to appeal to me. Um, Name the best road trip movie of all time. Three, two. I've never seen that. What is that? It's different from what I'm talking about, but that's Before Sunset in the Apartment are my two favorite movies. Really? Raiders of the Lost Ark coming in third. See, that's what I was looking for you beforehand when I said, like, was there a moment? Everyone always says, like, it was Indiana Jones or Star Wars, like, changed their perception on what they wanted to do in life. I mean, I'm sure Star Wars is probably a little too old for you. I, it's weird. I never think about it that way. I think about it like, I grew up, my father showing me a lot of, Think like the revenge thrillers that Wayne became, and then in, when I was young, like a lot of my father's favorite movie, and, and this will sh- tell you, he's he's a he he never had to have a childhood because it was kind of traumatic, and then he had a kid at eighteen, never got to be a kid, so everything he liked from there on was child. He never he all the child shit. Like he wanted to go to Disneyland, we couldn't afford it our whole life. That's where he wanted to go. He wanted to play hockey. And he watched movies that, like, a 15-year-old liked. So his favorite movie growing up, he was an adult. His favorite movie was Conan the Barbarian. It's a great movie. Yeah, and that's why it's such a big influence in Wayne. Um, and it is a great movie, but it was, like, a funny thing for, like, to tell people your dad's favorite movie is Conan, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it was, it's he loves action shit, and he, loved, and he was showing me movies like that. So there was that, but then I graduated into... I lived during the, the, the birth of... This blockbuster in Spielberg and the wonder of that um, he does a lot of those push-ins like with camera and everything that I love the, the swooshes and things showing wonder and emotion the long one minute dolly shots yeah he's you know um, have you watched M- Munich? I have not it's a good I was one. watching the camera work in that the other day and it's just it's 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 almost like it's it's stunning um, that the camera tricks they do in that movie that are just beautiful better than Baby Driver? Yes, yes. Baby Driver's great, man. Tons of whip pans in Baby Driver. This is like, you can't, like, Spielberg does shit, like the beginning of that, uh, his musical, somebody say the name, West Side Story. Just, have you watched any of it? I don't like musicals. Nor do I. I like The ADHD thing, you know. And I like Sing Street, which (laughs) I... I want musicals that are like, oh, they're singing because that's real life, and they play. He's a busker, and like, I will. I don't like those. We're gonna start singing in the middle of the street for no fucking reason. Things like that's just not for me. Um, but just watch the first ten minutes of West Side Story, which is I watched about half of it. Like the camera work, you can't fucking believe it. Like you watch it and you go like. Oh my God, there are 50 people in the shot and this camera is executing shit that you can't believe. Like the amount of setup and the amount of planning that had to go into that opening segment is mind blowing. Um, and just as someone who's probably going to hopefully direct soon, like it, it was almost intimidating. You're like, I, how does anybody ever get yeah. that? You know what I mean? Um, I like smaller movies and stuff, so it won't be the case, but, uh, uh, yeah, so Spielberg and, and that stuff and Indiana Jones, like my family became like the Indiana Jones family. Like it was our favorite thing in the world. Um, I grew up during like, you know, a time where 
we had blockbuster videos coming home, so I had a little movie club with my friends and horror movies. And we started watching, like, you started getting Nightmare Before, Nightmare on Elm Street and all these horror movies, and then we started digging deep, and we got into, like, the really cheap, like, trauma films, like Toxic Avenger, Redneck Zombies, all that shit, because we wanted to laugh at them as much as with them. Um, and then we saw Evil Dead 2, and that changed our fucking life. I've never seen Evil Dead 2. Oh, my God. Have you want to talk about camera? I'm a big fan of Evil Dead. Yeah? Yeah, you see the Evil Dead in the new uh, multiverse movie. Um, But Sam Raimi in that movie, like, you want to talk about camera work. Like, really, really uh, defining a movie. You always know it's Raimi. Like, when you see it in Doctor Strange, you're like, oh, that's Evil Dead shit that he's doing. But uh, Evil Dead was, like, the first movie I saw that was, like, Wayne is funny and, and, uh, you know, that movie's kind of really funny and scary. It was was still scary and weird, but it was also, like, making fun of itself and it was kind of quirky in a way that I was like, oh, you can bang genres together like this in this way and and so it changed my life I mean I we, that movie club turned into watching Evil Dead every weekend real deal cinephile for the length of our relationship my friend's relationship was like oh we're just watching this until those relationships ended and we did like <laughs> Evil Dead 2 was uh, I can't think like that's in there whatever yeah. happened to the Adonis character in your life is he still around who is it Evan Eaton what Evan was? Eaton yeah he uh, he went to Florida. So he's been married ten times. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the last time I talked to him, he said he was on a jet. Oh, so he's worth millions. Yeah, but I think you know he's never going to listen to this. Uh, I don't think he listens to podcasts. I, but I haven't really spoken to him a lot. Like we, we kind of like. He didn't show up to my wedding, and I was like, "Oh, is this we're we're, we're you know we weren't speaking that much." He was in Florida. We were just talking once a year or something, and then he was like, "You know," and I talked to him. He was like, uh, "Yeah, I'm dating this woman. She's much older than me, and I'm on a private jet." And I was like, "That makes sense." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she has money. Got it. He has a huge dick. I'm sure. This is this is. You've seen it. Yeah, um, I have. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> cursed me for life. Let me ask you a question Let's real quick, Let's get back Sean. to questions with the guy with the regular-sized penis. <laughs> if you're into guys who are always, always pulling up their pants and have a regular-sized penis, I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, I kind of want to talk about your come-up a little bit because let me tell you my perspective. Both Luke and I made separate movies in Boston, mm-hmm. distributed them in Boston. I put my movie in theaters. We both put it on streaming services. Now, you shift to L.A. originally. How do you get started working right away? And from what Luke was telling me is he read an interview with you where you were like, dude, I was going to give the fuck up before Wayne was made. Like there was moments where like you were like, I'm totally done with career wise. Like I'm putting my family through hell. I moved out here. I went to Emerson College. They had a habit of and still have a habit of, you know, basically shipping kids by the dozen after the end of every school year out to LA. Um, I was one of those people in, and you know, Emerson was easier to get into when, when I went there, I didn't, I wasn't a great student. I I got, I did a year of community college and got my grades up and realized ADHD had crippled me and I was actually slowing down as an adult. Um, you slow down, you know, that's what I'm hoping happens for my son and you start to patience, see more clearly. 
and got my grades up. Uh, went to Emerson, studied uh, writing, publishing literature. Knew I wanted to do comedy, but had stage fright. Realized, like, I did stand up a couple times, threw up before and after each time. <laughs> wow. Um, realized I couldn't do it. Because Boston cursed me. Because everybody's, like, if you're fucking not funny and try to be, they will fucking destroy you. They will destroy you. So trying to, like, be funny and expected to be funny was not a great combo for me. I was like, what if I'm not? Then everyone's going to fucking destroy me. Um, so I didn't have the balls. And then graduated, came out here. I started doing... Right away. Yeah. I went to Paramount, was given tours. Um you know they had a page system where you'd do tours and you'd also do little jobs you'd 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 do there was a lot of multi-camera sitcoms at the time you'd end up working those as pages like helping the audience get in and all so you were you were giving tours to visitors around the studio and then also paing it's basically like paing it's paging and then i got a pa gig oh so you were 22 i was a little i think it was because they didn't take all my credits when I transferred. I, it was like five years. Yeah, about that. Okay. 23, maybe. Yeah. Um, Where are you living in L.A. at the time? Um, living over in West Hollywood, uh, Formosa and Fountain, over by Sunset. You know, we had a strip joint up the corner. And at night, people, you know, you'd have some drugged out girls and people like rolling on your lawn like in 3 a.m. You're like, why is there screaming outside? You're reminiscing about this admirably though. It yes. seems like you enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, I did. Listen. You like the chaos. It wasn't, if you're from anywhere else, maybe, it, but I came out here and I was used to kind of having, you know, bars in my window. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was, you know. And then I go there now. You get soft, man. I live in the valley. You get soft and then you come back and you're like, I would never live here again. Are you fucking kidding me? The chaos but, kingdom. Yeah, I had a guy who lived in the apartment that was connected to, to mine behind me. <laughs> I told my son this the other day. I go, do you want to know how good you have it? When I was there, I had a guy who was selling drugs who lived in the apartment connected to mine, so we shared a wall, and I heard shit on the other side, and he had his face fully tattooed like a lizard. Holy shit. <laughs> my son's like, what? Oh my god! It was like it was like a Marvel villain, like living behind me, selling dope. Except he's really poor. He's like not a very successful Marvel <laughs> villain, but he had a lizard face. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was uh, that was you know. Listen, it felt normal at the time. It felt okay at the time. Um, luckily, I'm from Brockton, and you know, I wasn't too fucking snotty at the time. Not snotty, are you, Simmons? Um, and then, uh, yeah, and I was paging, and then I got PA jobs. PA jobs is always like it's the routine, you know, Work right of passage yeah. into, you know, I worked in a show called Becker, which was a Ted Danson show. My, my wife, who I met, she was working Frasier at the time on that same lot. But we used to get passed around for shows, and then I finally got the PA gigs, and I started writing. And, and one of the people I, I worked with at the time was uh, one of the writers on Becker, surprisingly enough. This was always the goal, though, was to be a writer. I started to figure that out okay. pretty quickly because I, I would write comedy bits and I would write sketches. I'm more of a long-form guy. Like, I never quite figured out the art of the sketch. I would write things I thought were sketches that weren't. Um, and then, you know, I was a fat TV kid, so, like, working sitcoms was the right place for me. And um, 
I got let in the room. Dave Hackle was the creator of the show, and he let me in the room a couple times, and I pitched jokes, and they put him in the show. And I dared pitch jokes, which was ballsy. I look back now, I'm so shy. The biggest problem I had was not asking people for help. And you just, you kind of got to bite the bullet and do it. Like, I was shy. Like, Boston, you don't ask people for help. It's a pride thing. Yeah, it's tough, man. I had a really hard time with that. So I, you know, I pitched jokes that day, got in, it gave me confidence. I said, I'm going to start trying to figure out how to write scripts. And I had scripts coming through the door every day on that show. So I would look at the changes they made and the joke changes they made and saw them change on stage. And I learned how to do it there a bit. And then... I became the assistant to a guy named Jake Hogan, who had uh, won an Emmy for Frasier. He was one of the original writers in The Simpsons for five years during those uh, great first five years. Um, a really funny guy and dear friend uh, and a mentor to me. Like, he really helped me uh, build my confidence on his shows. Um, uh, and then, you know, I eventually... I wrote a... Get this... A sex in the City spec. Wrote a Sex in the City Where do you spec. get the right to do something like that? How Back do you then, know what it's like to be like a young 28-year-old in hey, New man. York City having sex with men? I was watching that show with my wife. Really? Got into it, you know? I you, think you can get into just about anything. It's actually a great that. show. Yeah. So did the spec work? I, yeah. I mean, I had three agents call me. Nice. They said, you need another one. They all said the same thing. You needed, you needed two. You all wrote someone else's show back then. You didn't write original shit. They told you never to write original shit. And this was in 2000s, you know, 2000. You so know, how old are you? Oh, God. I don't know. How old is I? I'm 49 years old. <laughs> 2022. So you're 27. Yeah, I don't do math. I, I, I don't know. I asked my wife how long we've been married the other day. So um, 22 to 27. So you're like really just hustling on shows for five years before anything happens. Yeah. It was PAs. You know, doing that work. And then I wrote two specs. I wrote a curb after that. Nice. And that got me... Well, Bill Diamond was the reason. Bill Diamond was a writer. He's been in a million things. Old school guy. He was nice enough. I was sitting as an assistant at Universal Studios. I decided I was going to be assistant to all these executives. I was an assistant to Jake Hogan, who was a writer. He had, like, a huge deal at one point. I worked for him for two years. He just let me come into work and write. I got a paycheck. I do a few things for him here and there, but barely anything. And then I would write all day. And then, or nothing, do nothing all day. I should say more of that than, than writing. But, um, and then one day I, I jumped to the executive, the creative executive who had hired him to her desk. And she brought me, I, I was her assistant in development and current at Warner Brothers, Universal, Studios USA. She brought me around. And I got to see all, now I was seeing shows that was like, that she'd cover like 10 shows. And I'd have all these scripts coming in. I'd be in the notes calls and I'd be learning like what not to do, what character drive, you know, always think in your head every scene, you know, what do they want? What are they doing to get it? What do they want? What are they doing to get it? And you'll see that in Wayne. Like that whole script is like, you know, girl comes to the door, then he needs money for those things. And he goes, and goes you know, one needs the nunchucks to sell the thing to get the girl that goes there, you know. Um, and I learned all those basic you know, things at a desk at an assistant job or an executive, which isn't the normal way in, but I was lucky to do it. And then I had a script on my desk and that writer, Bill Diamond saw that script on my desk and he flipped it over. He had the balls to kind of just take my script and flipped it over. And he said, you write. And I said, yeah. And I couldn't ask anybody for help again. Like that was my 
biggest problem. And uh, he goes, I'm going to read this. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm scared and, and excited all at the same time. And then he called me that night and he goes, I'm going to send this to my agent. And I was like, holy shit, I guess I can write good enough. Wow. You know? And he sent that curb and I met with him and then I met with, you know, I met with Gersh and then I met with a few other people. Like once people know that you're. You got represented. Yeah. So, so, someone wants you. Other people want you. Um, and signed and I've been with three agents since then. Uh, but, and then it was the hard road of, you know, getting staffed. I got staffed on a show and I had a great time. My first show I was on a bunch of shows for years. So like, hold up. Sorry to cut you off. No, so please cut me off. you, um, so you get signed, you write the specs. Now your agent goes around town and says, Hey, I represent this super talented writer. You should hire him for your staff. Right. That's how it works. They read you. Got it. You realize it's so much more complicated than that. It's like half the time it's like people already know people. Politics, people yeah, yeah. People, people, you know, it's your chances of actually being that person they don't know that comes in and they read your script and are wowed by it and you have a great meeting. Um, realize how hard it is. Like, it was so hard. And so I, I wrote in a bunch of, like, shows that were canceled in 13 episodes that no one ever knew about. And then kid shows, because kid shows were like 24 episodes back then. Like, I Carly was like, I didn't work on that, but like, just naming one, you probably know. Those shows were like 24 episodes. And when you have a kid coming, you were on that show for like a year and a half, every season. Mm -hmm. And the money's good. Um, what, so what kid shows did you work on? I worked on a show called Kirby Buckets, which was a Disney XD show. Nice. Um, that the guy from Cobra Kai... Is, is was in starting um, Bucket and Skinner I have all these weird name shows Bucket and Skinner Nickelodeon uh, Wendell and Vinny was a show I was on with Jerry Trainer uh, for Maya Carly like all these you know but again a bunch of shows that disappeared after one season again I will say writing children's shit actually allowed me to learn so much about energy and shit that you, you see stimulation like children's Hitting there like things I learned in children's episodes is that that energy is fucking nuts mm -hmm. you know um, it's weird tapping into a kid's psyche huh yeah I mean it was fun I you know I wrote really jokey back then like a joke a million jokes an hour was my thing like every script I have a, I have a script about two Boston girls that is probably the fucking it's like a joke grenade <laughs> like it's just <laughs> bam 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 yeah it's like 30 Rock you know back Back then, there were more shows like that, you know, where you had to be, you know, have like four jokes per page. I've been sitting in on the uh, the Big Mouth table reads for their seventh season, and it's very similar. Yeah. The way they're writing, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's that electric kind of volley. Mm -hmm. back. It's like, um, it's table tennis. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so then finally, like, a few choices like doing the kid shows and, and, uh, is he calling me? You got five minutes. Okay. Um, those kid shows and stuff like that kind of like, I think hurt you because people are like, Oh, these kid shows. We, we're not going to hire them on this like adult show. So that kind of hurt me, but I needed the money. Um, it became very hard to get staffed and I had two years where I didn't work. And so what are you doing for two years? Right. I, I writing, um, and trying to save my life. I mean, there was a lot of tears and a lot of like wondering if we're taking our kids out of school, out of school, their school they go to, and if I'm, you know, 
it, we're selling the house. It was bad. It was really darkest. Well, shit. hold up real quick, because this is very interesting to me. As an outsider, I think a lot of people expect people who are making stuff and producing stuff, they make one successful thing. You can hold them over for four years, but it's not that way, right? I wasn't developing at the time. You weren't. I was writing specs and getting jobs, and I got a little too comfortable getting jobs. And then, so all of a sudden, I'm like, I just got to go for it and write. How old are you? Oh, my God. This was, was this 2014 or something? It wasn't that long ago. Eight years ago. It was right ago. before Wayne. When Wayne came out in 2018, 19, 19, and made it in 18, started in 17, wrote it and started writing in 15 or 16. So, yeah. So I wrote kind of like my wife always says, you wrote yourself out of a fucking hole, man. Like, I wrote with... I wrote the craziest thing that felt me, um, that only could have come from me. So this totally revitalized your career, this series. It gave me a career. I never really considered me, my, me having one. It was so fucking spotty. Holy shit. It was like, it was so up and down. Like, I might have worked for three years in a row one year, and then I'm not working a year. And then, you know, it's, it's so hard staffing. Um, What's it I, like having money now? I don't have money. I know, but you have more now than you did when yeah. you weren't working. I sold a movie, you know, that, that, that's different. Wayne has allowed me a lot of things. There are people like fans out there, like the 20th Century Fox guy working now, Steve Asbell, who is like turned out just to be the greatest, um, and greatest just let's letting artists be fucking artists and trying to find what special nugget is in there. He, you know, loved Wayne so much. Um, and then I go into a meeting, I'm just, you know, one of those general meetings and I'm like, Hey man, what's up? And he talks about Wayne for 10 minutes and I'm so flattered. Smartest guy, like one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Um, and then I'm, he's like, what you're working on? And I'm like, I'm working on this female getaway car driver thing. That's kind of like a seventies Cassavetes movie stuffed inside of a, of a modern day kind of getaway car driver movie. And he's like, you know, and I gave him this opening scene. Like I told you, I do. I came up with an opening scene about a girl who grew up, you know, driving her parents around at 13 years old because they're alcoholics. And she was like forced to drive home from bars and shit and became a getaway car driver because of the, you know, tragedy that was her, was her life. And he's like, I'll take it. And that, you know, that doesn't happen. That's that, the 20th century project. Yeah. I talked for four minutes. And now, you know, here we are seven months later and I've turned it in and it's a thing. It's a thing. Like I got yeah. rewriting the little tiny notes he gave me. And, um, but yeah, man, I'm telling you, like, I never, I was on eight, nine, 10 shows and I would not call what I had a career. I would call it me constantly trying to break in. By having little but jobs. But you didn't fucking quit, man. Well, I, you know. You're a stubborn know, bastard, Sean. I don't know how to do anything else. No, And nobody listens to the radio anymore. So my mother's idea of being on the radio because I'm ugly, you know, <laughs> isn't going to work out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else I'd do, honestly. It's like, you know, all I want to do is like. Create. I don't know. Is there, you know those people that like go to the hospital volunteer holding babies? I like babies. I'll go hold babies. But they don't pay anything. But that's the only thing I. 
I think you're I better like off me. as a writer, man. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to volunteer for that shit. Get the fucking old babies. Um, um, we, we're going to have to wrap up soon. But um, final question. And we'll do another episode at some time. I really yeah. enjoyed this. Thank you, man, so much. Oh, no. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. It's all right. I am, too. Yeah. I don't even know if we made sense. Man, ADHD, <laughs> man. Dude, I was drinking like 200 milligrams of caffeine this whole episode. Um, do, when you reflect... On Wayne gave me a career. That's the last I'll say. Like Wayne gave me a career. That was. That's what I'm saying though. When you reflect and you you see the way your career's maneuvered over the years, mind you, you're finally hitting a stride. Were you 48, 47, 49? 49. Do you believe in destiny? Like do you? God, it sure feels like it in a lot of ways. I mean, listen. The one thing I kept doing was listening to like, oh, what's the market looking for? the fucking bum move man it's the wrong move because you're trying to write and i still have this problem people come to me with ideas and i'm like i i have to find my way in and i also like now i'm in the like luxurious position of you know that's not speaking to me and if i don't if i'm not obsessed with it i'm not gonna get whatever magic you think it is that wayne captured the only times I've ever hit it in these last few things I've written since Wayne is because I wake up like, holy shit, I have to write that fucking thing. I'm passionate as fuck, yeah. And people bring me stuff and they're like, we think you could do this. And I'm like, like, I don't, I have to find, once in a while I do find it. But if I'm not going to come through with that magic for you, or I want to stop saying magic now. If I'm not coming through with that like special thing um, that makes me be able to write a script and fail great about it and be like, crying I'm you know I I was writing rewriting a script the other day and like tears coming down my eyes if I don't get there where I'm unnecessarily <laughs> emotional about shit you know like I used to cry writing Wayne all the time you know what I mean like if I don't get there it's I haven't earned my good. money I'm not earning my money you know I haven't I I know something's wrong you know you know writing's a weird thing where you feel like when you're laughing at ideas that come to your head that's such a weird fucking thing that you feel like they came from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Went into your brain and you laugh. It's such a strange thing to me. Like someone, where did it come from? What delivery? Cause I'm not, I wasn't aware of it. And then I was aware of it. And it's, you know, you're laughing or you're crying or you're, that's such a, such a strange thing. And I, I just honestly have to get there or, or fucking go home. You know what I mean? Um, I did it with Wayne and I've luckily felt that way about the last, you know, I wrote that pilot for Endeavor Content, and I've written this movie, and I've written this other small movie that I want to direct, and I've I've done, I've gone through those uh, un, uh, emotional waves, in ways where I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm feeling this in a way that I feel like it's a real thing. Um, yeah, Wayne allowed that. You know, we gotta wrap it up, man. It's funny, this is live thing. It's like you guys just do it, cut it live, huh? You don't, like, go long and then cut it together, tighten it. you got to stay within the hour. It's like a live thing. I know. It's, it's like cool. you got to get done. I'm, I'm actually getting a studio in Santa Monica in eight weeks where episode length will be 10 hours if necessary. So we can run another one. Have you moved here? I have. Okay. All right. I'm here. I'm in the snake pit, brother. I don't know where you think you're going to get riders to drive to Santa Monica. but Why? Does everyone live in Burbank? Nobody. That's the joke here is they're like, oh, you live on the last side? I'll see you in a year. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, all right, Gio, thank you, man. Sean, appreciate it so much, man. And um, if you got – okay, you already clicked it. No. Where it you did? No. Keep going. Great guys unite live from Hollywood. We're going to keep it going. All love, brother. Thank you, Sean. <laughs>